And so last week we looked at the first of the the first part or the first domain of the uh, first uh, factor of awakening, the first factor of awakening being mindfulness. And last week we explored mindfulness of the body in the body. So I hope that each of you had a really, really good week of embodied mindfulness practice. This week, well, first I'd like to just list the factors of awakening again. I might list them every week, just as a reminder. The first being mindfulness and the four parts of mindfulness. The first being body, the second being feelings, Vedana in Pali, which is what we'll explore today. The third being mindfulness of mental activity, Nama, and we will explore that today as well. And the fourth foundation or domain of mindfulness being Dhammas, or truth, so the way of things, which we will also explore today. So that's the first foundation, or the, excuse me, the first um, of our uh, factors of awakening, factors of enlightenment. The second factor of enlightenment is investigation. The third energy or effort, they go together. The fourth being joy, fifth being tranquility, the sixth being concentration, and the seventh being equanimity. So today, as I just briefly mentioned, we'll be exploring the next three domains or the next three establishments of mindfulness, with mindfulness being the overarching factor, the overarching capacity or quality of awakening, of enlightenment. And we'll begin today's exploration with Vedana in Pali, feeling in English. And in, in the Buddha Dhamma, the, the the Vedana or feeling tone of our experiences are what we're going to explore. The feeling tone of pleasant or unpleasant or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, what we could call neutral. These feeling tones occur with every experience in relationship to every experience that we have in the body, mind, and heart to some degree, sometimes overtly and sometimes subtly. So settle into your seat, comfortable sitting place and position. Drink your last sip of tea or coffee or juice or whatever it is. <laughs> and let your cup rest.
Let your body, heart, and mind settle in. I'll offer a short Dhamma reflection about feelings, Vedana. And then we'll sit together for approximately 40 minutes with the mindful connection and recognition of the feeling tone in relationship to what we're experiencing with whatever body-mind experience shows up. And I'll offer a bit of guidance at the beginning of the uh, of the formal sit after I uh, give, offer you a short Dhamma reflection. So this second domain of mindfulness, mindfulness of feeling, Vedana Nupasana in Pali. And I'm offering the Pali for some of what we're talking about because I know that some of you are interested in the Pali, the original language that the Buddha taught in. Some of you are interested in the Pali words for uh, some of the Buddha Dhamma. This foundation or establishment of mindfulness is, is potentially a particularly illuminating aspect of our practice towards directing our natural inclination to the right place and in the right way. Every experience that comes through each of the sense doors, touching the body, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and the mind door, thinking, provides some kind of specific information to the mind. And there are particular feelings that occur through sense door contact with all of the various phenomena that we experience. So from the perspective of the Buddha Dhamma, these feelings are very simply and clearly classified into three groups, as I've already mentioned, pleasant feeling, unpleasant feeling, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant feeling, what we can call neutral feeling. And these feelings or feeling tones arise in response to either physical or mental stimuli. Attachment, emotional attachment or aversion to sense door experience is a result that quite often quickly follows along directly from these feelings. So for instance, when we experience a pleasant feeling in relationship to some physical or mental contact with, with some object, for most people, there's almost an immediate emotional attachment to the pleasant feeling or to the object or to both. And then when the pleasant feeling subsides, which of course it always does, The desire may, might come up to get it back or to get another one. And it can come quite quickly. 
It can be subtle or it can be quite overt. A craving then is arising. And with craving, usually immediately preceded, follow, or excuse me, immediately following uh, or preceded to, to craving quickly, there's a sense of dissatisfaction because the pleasant feeling is fading or maybe fully disappeared. And so this dissatisfaction is what fuels the greed or craving. And what's happened? Our peace, our pleasant abiding, our sense of well-being has been disturbed. The nature of dissatisfaction is agitation, a kind of inner restlessness of the body and then the mind. And this translates into what we usually call stress, mental and physical stress. The experience of craving itself is experienced as some degree of a burning contraction. If we really truly experience it, if we really truly see it clearly, sense it and see it clearly. So again, what are we experiencing? We're experiencing stress. When we experience unpleasant feeling in relationship to some physical or mental contact with some object, most people almost immediately experience an emotional dislike or some form of aversion, maybe, maybe fear or boredom or maybe hatred or anger or disappointment. We might want to get rid of, or, of this object. We might want to get away from the object or the feeling or both. So again, our mental peace is disturbed. Again, we're feeling stress. As we begin to sense and see and know our experience more and more clearly, we find out that so much of stress, so much of the suffering, stressful suffering in this life comes directly from one's relationship to experience pleasant and unpleasant feelings. When the feeling is at least to some degree neither pleasant nor unpleasant, when the feeling is neutral, often for many people, the tendency is to just ignore what's going on, to not connect to the present moment's experience. And it, sometimes it's accompanied with a, a subtle or maybe not so subtle state of, of not wanting really not interested in being with the experience of the moment. I think it's fair to say that most of us are intense experience junkies. If it's intense, we're likely to pay attention, whether it's pleasant or whether it's unpleasant. And if it's not intense, we often just don't notice we might think nothing's happening. So again, we're craving something or maybe experiencing the aversion of boredom or both. Without an intimate 
and careful, mindful attention to feelings. They have the potential power to disturb us emotionally. They have the potential power to make us suffer. An amazing thing about these feelings is that we often forget that they change. In fact, the very same object that produced pleasant feelings in the mind, sometimes just within moments, can produce unpleasant feelings in the mind, or vice versa. So again, we're experiencing attachment, clinging, and, and or various aversive states. Forgetting is the opposite of remembering, remembering the connection that mindfulness offers to see things just as they are. Many years ago, when I was sitting a three-month retreat at the Insight Meditation Society, one day I found a note from the person whose stash was next to mine on a shelf in the back dining room at the Insight Meditation Society. And I had absolutely no idea who this person was. The note was offering me some green tea. Well, a very pleasant feeling arose. I was noticed. A gift being offered to me, capital M-E. And I happen to like green tea. So I offered the note, put a note on this person's stash, just saying thank you. Well, the next day, another note appeared on my stash from this same person offering me a hat. The person seemed to notice me going outside without one. And it was getting cool outside. Well, a tinge of unpleasant arose in the mind. I, I felt impinged upon. The attention was not appreciated, not liked. But I answered the note politely and thanked him and said, I have a hat, thank you. Then the next day, a third note appeared. This was a question about practice. And a most decidedly unpleasant feeling arose in the mind, followed by a quick, unmindful reaction in the mind to write back a not so polite note. But fortunately, mindfulness and wise, wise discernment kicked in and I just simply relaxed, let go, and didn't respond at all. And the note stopped, never got another one after that. As I think probably all of you would agree, when we feel pleasant or unpleasant as a result of some contact through some sense door, the pleasant and unpleasant feeling isn't in the external object, nor is the feeling within an internal object of attention, such as a bodily sensation or a thought. The feeling is in the mind. So what is it that most often is the root of the feeling that arises in relationship to our experiences? Well, in my three-month retreat story, the mental feeling tone and the subsequent actions of responding to the first two notes 
and the mental feeling tone followed by a reaction in my mind to the third note were all very clearly coming from a place of me, a place of self, me, myself, and I. When we begin to see that all of the feelings we experience are within our own mind, that we ourselves are primarily responsible for the feelings that we experience, we begin to know that we really can't blame others for the way we feel. What for many of us are long habituated stories or maybe short habituated stories, storylines such as he made me angry. She made me just feel terrible. He made me feel so happy. This place, these people make me feel so peaceful. This place, these people make me feel miserable. As we begin to pay a very careful attention to the feelings that arise, the habituated storylines actually begin to lose their strength. The habituated storylines begin to fall apart. In the light of seeing things clearly, blaming others for our pleasant or unpleasant mental feelings isn't realistic. It's actually not the way things work. The potentially illuminating aspect of practice in relationship to cultivating a careful attention to feeling is that at this point in our experience, it's at this point in our experience that we have the opportunity to drop our habituated reactions of attachment and clinging and the habituated reactions of the various permutations of aversion. It's at this point in our experience of noticing the feelings of pleasant and unpleasant or the feelings of neutral that we can in moments just see, experience, and know bodily sensation, visual forms, odors, sound, taste, and the manifestation of various thought forms. Know the attendant feeling tone and that just be that. In that moment, there's no mental suffering. The heart and mind are not disturbed. It's a moment of ease, a moment of peace. When you engage with the full presence in the physical and mental experiences that are happening in your body and mind, and when any of these experiences show up as being pleasant or unpleasant or maybe neutral, one aspect of our practice is to be mindfully aware without making something out of it. Without making something out of it. Meaning without interpreting, without speculating, without analyzing, without evaluating. As we meet and connect to experience with an unfettered mindful presence, we find open-hearted interest, 
and authenticity, which brings clarity to the seeing, sensing, and knowing of our experience. Feelings are particularly important mental factors in developing insight into the cause of suffering, because these feelings are what condition our mind to hold on to the pleasant, to push away, avoid, or ignore the unpleasant. Learning to mindfully observe feelings with more clarity and more balance, with less attachment, aversion, and with less personal identification is an important and very, very helpful door to open on our way towards awakening. And it's not easy to do this. It takes a great deal of practice, mindfulness-based practice. When we act out of aversion or clinging, we cause harm. We cause harm to ourselves and cause harm to others. To be able to act with clarity in relationship to compassion, care, clear understanding doesn't cause harm. But it's not easy, again, to say it's not easy. So the second domain of mindfulness in our practice, contemplation of the feelings simply in themselves, the feelings in the feelings. So we'll begin our sit now. Settling into your body. Allowing the heart mind to relax and settle. Sometimes helps to take a couple of deep breaths. And then just let the breath breathe itself naturally. Connecting to the sensorial experience of an in-breath and an out-breath, wherever it's most clearly and directly felt in your body. And noticing, mindful presence, noticing the pleasant 
or unpleasant or neutral feeling tone of an in-breath, of an out-breath. No expectation. Letting go of the way it should be in your mind or shouldn't be. And just simply notice how it is. No commentary is necessary, judgment unnecessary, expectation unnecessary. How is it? other sensations in the body making themselves known. Noticing pleasant or unpleasant. Feeling tone in relationship to other sensations that show up as they arise, manifest change move, disappear, pleasant, unpleasant, maybe neutral. Maybe thoughts arising in the mind. Maybe images arising in the mind. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. not getting caught up in the storylines. For this practice period, just noticing pleasant. Or unpleasant. Or maybe neutral. 
and remembering to return to the anchor of our mindful presence, the anchor of the breath. This simple, beautiful breath in, out, wherever it's most clearly and directly felt, sensorially in your body. Breathing itself naturally. Mindful attention, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. When commentary or judgment arises, thoughts, of course, they are. Rather than taking them up, rather than going with them, just simply notice as soon as possible Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral.
when the mindful attention spaces out. Stay mindful. Notice if it's pleasant. Is it unpleasant? Maybe neutral. Keeping practice vital, alive, engaged. Relaxed. When the attention starts to wander here, there, anywhere, everywhere, be mindful of this. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? Remembering to return home, so to say, to the breath. Just an in-breath, just an out-breath. However it is breathing itself. Noticing if it's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. That's all you have to do right now.
are you <clears throat> are you trying too hard? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is the body, heart, and mind relaxed, receptive? Moment by moment. Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Memories showing up in the mind. Pleasant or unpleasant. Plans showing up in the mind. Pleasant. Unpleasant. An in-breath, an out-breath, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral.
an itchy spot arising somewhere on the body. Pleasant, unpleasant, not scratching. Mindful presence, pleasant, unpleasant, maybe neutral. an embodied sense of sitting in stillness. 
pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. A degree of agitation showing up in the mind, in the body, 
pleasant and pleasant. Simply returning home to one in-breath and one out-breath. The sensorial experience, breath by breath, just as it is. Pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral.
may all of the wholesome energies and fruits that manifest through our practice serve with immeasurable impartiality, without bias, without prejudice, towards the welfare, the happiness, and the awakening of all beings everywhere, which of course includes ourselves. And so now we'll do some time, take some time for 10 minutes of walking meditation. You could also do 10 minutes of mindful stretching meditation. Some of you may choose to be sitting in, stay sitting in the seat that you're in right now. And you can do some stretching meditation moving your arms, your legs, your head, your neck, even your torso and your back, sitting in your chair. Make sure you move your body mindfully. And if you're walking, you might walk a bit slower than you usually do. You're not walking to go someplace. You're just walking 10 steps in one direction, 10 steps in another direction approximately, and staying very mindful in the movement and noticing the physical sensations of walking, the physical sensations of stretching various parts of your body, and noticing is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And in 10 minutes, now about nine minutes, we'll come back together and I'll offer a Dhamma reflection.
So we'll begin the Dhamma reflection today with uh, the definition of mindfulness that I shared with you all last Sunday. Mindfulness can be understood as the active aspect of awareness. It's a non-judging, non-manipulative, non-grasping, non-rejecting orientation to the present moment's experience. And at its best, it's a purely receptive relationship to whatever phenomena is presenting itself in the present moment. An amazing aspect of mindfulness is that it it has the capacity to connect directly and simply to any of the experiences that come through each and all of the six sense doors with what we call bare awareness. 
with this bare awareness, providing very immediate and direct access to these experiences, just simply being known. And sometimes we may experience just this, but at times, and, and maybe quite often, the direct simple knowing of phenomena may almost always or very often immediately be colored or modified by various mental factors or various mental states. And this being the third domain of mindfulness, mindfulness of the mind. Pali citta upasana. Mindfulness of the various mental factors or states of mind that arise in relationship to our experience of body, mind, heart. So, for example, we go to the marketplace. Maybe the marketplace of the possible lunch food display in your refrigerator. Hmm. Hmm. Well... Lunch. Hmm. Well, maybe there's some attraction. Maybe there's some aversion to the sights and the smells as you open the refrigerator door. And maybe as you're eating, maybe you're already wanting more of something before you've even finished chewing what's in your mouth. Or maybe the marketplace just a few minutes ago of where to do walking meditation. Or maybe even earlier today, hmm, which shirt should I wear today? What shirt should I put on today? Maybe the marketplace of thinking. So for instance, Oh, I think I'd like to have a practice meeting with Marcia at some point. Well, how should I report my practice to her? And maybe thinking about this and then rehearsing it over and over and over again. With an attentive mindfulness, we have the possibility of recognizing that often these attractions, these aversions and these ponderings are rooted in old conditioned habits of maybe needing to be in control, needing to get it right, wanting to be noticed, wanting to be approved of, or in certain circumstances, thinking that maybe there's not enough. There's not enough because surely more of this or more of that will really make me happy forever, or at least for 10 minutes. All of this actually based in some degree of fear, rooted in fear actually. In a moment of mindfully seeing, knowing this, this root of 
wanting and dissatisfaction. We might simply be able to relax and then let go and then spontaneously respond in an appropriate and easeful way, <clears throat> really truly in relationship to the situation. And I would say we certainly have to do this many, many times over and over again before we really get it. It's a practice. Living here in Taos, New Mexico, it's a place that, as some of you know, many people come, <clears throat> come to, come to visit, specifically to come to the marketplace. A lot of beauty abounds here. I went through a, a period of practice quite some years ago where I'd walk along, soon after I moved here actually, many years ago, where I'd walk along the street and I'd look into the shop windows and watch my mind and body. Awareness of seeing, just seeing. Seeing various forms, colors, bear attention. And then I would notice the coloration of the mind of wanting leaning into, and even sometimes this strong desire of seeming need. The must-have mind. Greed, coloring a moment's experience of seeing. It was a very good practice in the midst of the marketplace. And it can be a very good practice in the midst of any marketplace. I continued this practice until I finally found myself more and more and more just often seeing, seeing the forms, seeing the colors, followed by simply and often joyfully and very often appreciatively bearing witness to the beauty that was being seen. To sustain and deepen in our practice, to see things as they really truly are, two of the most essential qualities of heart of mind that are required of us are honesty and humility. Pretense, self-deception, and clear seeing are mutually incompatible. So for instance, if, if another person notices that I'm feeling and, and maybe even expressing greed or some form of aversion. It does not matter if his or her image of me is shattered. What matters is that I'm willing to come face to face with these mind states, bringing mindful attention right into the greed or fear or anger or sadness. And is each of you, and we all, every one of us knows, this is not always so easy. Tremendous interest, energy, and humility is needed to sustain the observation, to see yourself as you are. And because you see yourself as you are, without pretense, without self-deceit, and without judgment, you don't try to project a different image to yourself or to anyone else. 
Vimalatakar, who was one of Krishnamurti's uh, closest students and who was quite a profound and powerful spiritual teacher in her own right, said this about humility. She said, that is the only austerity that is required of an inquirer. The austerity of humility to see things as they are, to see my inner being as it is, good or bad, to observe it as, as it is without defending it, without justifying it, without interpreting or judging it, without taking pride in it, and without re relegating the responsibility of those states to other people. <clears throat> she goes on. <coughs> Humility is the perennial source of energy or freshness. Humility enables you to learn to keep pliable, perhaps to the last breath, I hope, she said. <clears throat> In light of Vimalatakar's words, a story that the Dalai Lama has told about himself, he said that a number of years ago he was taken window shopping in some big city, I think it was London actually, to an area where there were lots and lots of small shops that sell all kinds of small mechanical parts and systems. And the person who took him there to this part of the city knew that he was very interested and fascinated by the mechanical workings of things. For instance, he loves to take apart watches and work on them and then put them back together. The Dalai Lama said that he found himself looking in the windows of the shops. And at first, just simply seeing with a very open curiosity and interest. And then all of a sudden realizing that he wanted everything. He said he wanted all of it. And he said, I didn't even know what any of it was for. I just wanted it. You ever had that experience? <laughs> so now taking a look at the marketplace of your inner world of meditation. The inner world of our meditation experience. So for instance, a moment of deep calm. A mindful moment of directly knowing this calm. Not thinking about it, just it as it is, just calm, just tranquilly. And then maybe followed quickly by grasping, wanting tranquility to never leave. Maybe even some fear arising about losing my tranquility. without judgment, directly seeing and knowing this experience, this experience of attachment and clinging, fear rooted in fear. This is very much a part of our practice too. Mindfulness is able to know the mental factor or coloration of the mind of wanting, of greed, within the greed itself. or the colorations of anger or hatred or fear or delusion 
any state of mind can be known within itself. Maybe from its very arising and its very particular characteristics, how it acts and its changing nature. And maybe also knowing and seeing its ending, its momentary cessation. A moment of consciousness may be colored by faith or by delight or peacefulness or maybe by dullness or disinterest or resistance or some other form of aversion. As I'm sure each of you have experienced at times, each of these mental factors these colorations may arise in relationship to the bare awareness of any given experience, such as a breath, a sensation, a bodily movement, a visual image, a sound, a dhamma talk, a taste, thoughts in the form of memories, plans, projections, fantasies, or images in the mind. Thai monk and Buddhist scholar, Venerable Analio says this, the element of non-reactive watchful receptivity in sati, which translates as mindfulness, forms the foundation for sati patana, the four foundations of mindfulness as an ingenious middle path, which neither suppresses the contents of experiences nor compulsively reacts to them. One of the central tasks of sati, of mindfulness, is the de-automatization of habitual reactions and perceptual evaluations. Sati thereby leads to a progressive restructuring or of perceptual appraisal and culminates in an undistorted vision of reality just as it is. And he goes on to say, this technique of simple recognition constitutes an ingenious way of turning obstacles to meditation into meditation objects. Practicing this way, bare awareness of a hindrance becomes a middle path between suppression and indulgence. Important aspects of mindfulness, important aspects of sati are bare and equanimous receptivity combined with a broad and open state of mind. In the Abhidhamma, which is a very clear and detailed treatise on the workings of the mind from a Buddhist perspective, there's a very long and detailed list of the many and various 
mental factors that may quickly come along to accompany and color the bare awareness of any present moment experience. This degree of perception and distinction with such a minute, with such minute detail regarding each and all of these states of mind, it's not really absolutely necessary for our practice. It's enough for you to be mindfully aware of the more usual or the more ordinary colorations of any given moment of consciousness as they arise and as they quickly change and as they cease. So for instance, mindfulness knowing delight, joy, attraction, mindfulness knowing preferring, mindfulness knowing faith, appreciation or liking, and mindfulness knowing dislike, judgment, disappointment, clinging, attachment, fear, anger, hatred, or irritation. Knowing any of these mind states in relationship to the bare awareness of the experiences of seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, moving, touching, or thinking. And again, the essential nature of mindfulness is that there's no attitude of judging or discriminating between right and wrong, between good and bad. It's just this in this moment, whatever it is and however it is. Within mindfulness itself, there's no grasping, no rejecting, no manipulation, no judging or evaluation of experience. Mindfulness is a profound and transformative phenomena or experience or capacity or quality that we are learning. So this is the third establishment, the third domain of mindfulness, mindfulness of the mind, mindful awareness of mental factors, mindful awareness of states of mind. Are you mindful of your mind? You might ask yourself, how driven am I by my desires? How driven am I by my attachments? How driven am I by my resistance? How driven am I by my aversions? The last aspect of mindfulness that the Buddha points us to is the contemplation of dhammas. And dhammas in this case can be translated as the truth, the way of things, the natural laws. 
This domain of mindfulness, mindfulness of dhammas, can be grounded specifically in any of the six sense doors, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking. It can also be grounded in the five so-called hindrances, sloth and torpor, restlessness, doubt, or the grasping mind or the aversive mind. The really wonderful and illuminating specialty, so to say, about this fourth domain of mindfulness is that whatever, whatever our experience is, be it physical or mental, is seen through the doors of Dhamma, is seen through the door of the nature of things, through the door of how it is, the door of truth. So for example, one of the insightful doorways that we open with this fourth domain of mindfulness is that of the three universal characteristics that all experience of body and mind are imbued with. We can directly pay attention to, recognize, and clearly come to know that every experience of mind and body is always changing, always changing, is anicca, is impermanent. Each and every phenomena of body and mind, as well as everything we perceive around us, begins and ends, arises and disappears. There are hundreds, thousands, millions actually, of little endings Deaths, moment to moment to moment, breath by breath. As practice deepens and matures, it gets easier and easier to open to, clearly see, accept, and surrender to this perfectly natural truth. What appears to be a steady flow of experience, even with the presence of consciousness itself, is not as we ordinarily perceive it. The reality of body-mind experience and even consciousness itself can be likened to the separate frames of a film. The illusion, the delusion being as though it's happening in an ongoing continuous flow when in reality, it's all beginning and ending, arising and passing away on the most minute level, second by second by second. And because of anicca, because of impermanence, no experience that comes in through the six sense doors is ultimately or permanently satisfying. And we continue on through our lifetime, searching for some thing, some experience that will finally and totally satisfy. Finally, finally make us totally and end endlessly happy. This unsatisfactoriness, 
and the endless search for satisfaction is what the Buddha called dukkha. And dukkha is usually translated as suffering. And that's the, the baseline or the orientation of the suffering that the Buddha is talking about. The endless search for satisfactoriness. And this is the second universal characteristic. The last of the three characteristics that we may come to know within this fourth domain of mindfulness is anatta. The truth that all experience, that all phenomena is selfless, is totally, totally interdependent and is constantly changing. In other words, all phenomena is totally contingent in its existence, both within its seeming, and I say seeming, solidity, as well as in its seeming set or static place in the world. And our bodies, each of our bodies, being an immediately available example of this, with all parts and all functions being completely and totally interdependent, and all of it constantly in flux. All is anatta. All is empty of any separate, solid, sustaining self. As we begin to directly experience and to know anicca, impermanence, and unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, the third universal characteristic of anatta, or as it's usually translated of not self, begins to reveal itself directly through our practice of mindful awareness quite naturally. It quite naturally shows up. And we begin to truly understand that no matter how hard we try, there's absolutely nothing that can be clung to. Even our often very tightly grasped, seemingly set in place self identities, the positive or wholesome identities, as well as the negative or unwholesome identities. As we begin to intimately experientially see and know these three universal truths, our relationship to our life begins to change. Wisdom, equanimity, relinquishment, and the natural flow of a creative and compassionate life quite naturally begins to blossom within this seeing and knowing as we start to relax, to relax 
more and more deeply into simply and more clearly being here with things just as they really, truly are. And so as we go along in our practice, and when we're ready, this fourth domain of mindfulness, mindfulness of dhammas, opens up the beautiful door to freedom, the simple and beautiful door of awakening, which we may experience just very briefly in a moment, with it eventually becoming more and more pervasive through our life. Within the whirlpool of our ordinary lives, which the Buddha called samsara, if we metaphorically stand still, cool, calm, focused, mindfully attentive, in that moment, we're no longer conditioned by ignorance. We're no longer conditioned by ignoring and being caught in the whirlpool of pleasant and unpleasant. We're no longer caught in the whirlpool of, I like it, I don't like it. No longer caught unaware in the whirl of continuing, continually, unwittingly moving around and around and around the wheel. In the midst of our ordinary lives, in the midst of samsara, we can stop and pay an extraordinary kind of attention a mindful attention and wake up. And some words from the Buddha, from the Majjhima He calls this teaching a single excellent night. Let me not revive the past or on the future build my hopes, for the past has been left behind and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let me see each presently arisen state. Let me know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. Today, the effort must be made. Tomorrow, death may come, who knows? No bargain with mortality can keep him and his hordes away. But one who dwells thus ardently, relentlessly by day, by night, it is in her, it is in him, the peaceful sage has said, who has had a single excellent night. And closing the Dhamma reflection, today's Dhamma reflection, with some, uh, a teaching poem from Wu Men. Wu Men was an ancient Chinese Buddhist master who offered this both invitational and provocative teaching. Ten thousand flowers in spring, 
the moon in autumn, a cool breeze in summer, snow in winter. If your mind isn't clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. And let's sit silently for just a moment or two. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma and thank you for your practice. So taking just a few minutes now, about five minutes or maybe less of just stretching, maybe standing up, moving your arms, you've been sitting still for quite a while. Just moving your body a little bit, your neck, your head. Sometimes people like to open their mouth really wide, ah, make a little noise, ah, close it again. That helps. <laughs> Breathing in. And letting it out through the mouth. That helps too. Stretching your arms. Ah, that feels good. And having a sip of water if you need it.
So this Sunday we have the full almost 30 minutes, close to 30 minutes for some discussion, Dhamma discussion, sharing from your practice today, or some of you might like to share from your practice this week, this past week. You were hopefully having a an embodied week of practice, mindfulness of the body in the body. You're welcome to share some experience from the week. Welcome to share some experience from today, from your practice. You're also welcome to uh, ask questions. I do not uh, want to entertain uh, a philosophical discussion. So questions on the practical level in relationship to the Dhamma talk or questions on a practical level in relationship to your practice today or through this past week. I know philosophical discussions can be fun, but we're not gonna do that here. <laughs> um, and you'll have to unmute, but if everybody unmutes, it messes up the Zoom sound for some reason unfortunately. So you unmute when you want to talk. And uh, the rest of us will be listening. The thing, the wonderful thing about these Dhamma discussions is that we learn tons of things from each other. So don't be shy with sharing. Don't be shy with questions. There's no question that's silly. It's all good. And do know that you're speaking for yourself, of course, but you're also speaking for everyone. We're human. We have shared human experience. So whatever you say, on some level, every other human being in our very beautiful Sunday Sangha here will be able to relate to it. This human experience we all share. It usually takes one kind of courageous person, as I like to say, to start speaking. You see Judith so, has her hand up. Judith, where are you, Judith? I see you. Judith, you're muted. You have to unmute yourself. And yeah. when, you, when you do speak, do say your name, please. And just let us know, even though we did this last week, we might not all remember. Let us know where you are, where you're speaking from. Okay, so this is Judith in Bend, Oregon. And um, I had an experience this past week of, uh, of an MRI. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the sound was so assaultive. <laughs> uh -huh. And I began thinking, well, Marcia had a shoulder replacement. I can probably make it through an MRI by focusing. <laughs> and, 
I have to say that it, it was a great tool for teaching concentration uh, and meditation. And I, I was very thankful for it. It made it um, tolerable. There was a moment, a fleeting moment when I thought it was kind of funny mm -hmm. that you're trapped in this little tunnel <laughs> being assaulted by sound. I want to thank you and, and just to share that. Well, that's great. Uh, many of us have had MRIs. I certainly have, and I suspect many others in this sangha have had MRIs. It's intense. Yes. Sound-wise, hearing-wise, it is intense. And our practice, I take, I've had quite a few of them, and I take my practice right into that little tunnel with me. Uh-huh. Hearing, 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 focus. And I have to tell you something that really surprised me. The last MRI I had, which wasn't very long ago, the, the tech who did the MRI, the outside the MRI, pressed all the buttons, etc. She told me that sometimes people fall asleep <laughs> when they're having an MRI. I was quite surprised. <laughs> yes. I've not had that experience. <laughs> Thank you. That's great, Judith. Yes, practice can help in many, many different life situations. And actually, there's not a life situation that we have had or will have that practice is not of use. So thank you. Please go ahead. Anybody else? Yes. Mark, you're muted, Mark. Okay. Tell us All where right. you are. Mm -hmm. Yes. So can you hear me? Yes, we want to know where you are. Well, I'm in Crestone still. Uh, I'll be in Germany next Sunday, I think. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. But I have one comment, uh, again, to do with um, what the previous people said. Your operation, when you said, as long as I didn't make a comment, no comment, everything was okay. Um, and so I was working with that this week, and it was quite interesting uh, during meditation and also throughout the day, just trying to say no to my thinking. And uh, it was quite beneficial. I really appreciated that. Um, and my question is, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, I just, I don't know how to avoid attachment to my feelings. I mean, I can, I see them, but I mean, I don't want to become a zombie. I don't know. And I know you've talked about this before, but uh, uh -huh. when do you, when do you? Uh, are you worried if you, are you anxious about letting go of attachment and aversion that you'll become a zombie? You'll become a, <laughs> uh, some kind of a, like a, a robot? Kind of, yes. That, yeah, I just. Yeah, something like that. Yes. It doesn't mean that you'll stop uh, experiencing pleasant and unpleasant necessarily. You may experience it less intensely or you may not 
go to the next step. What's the next step if pleasant is arising in relationship to some experience? What, what happens often for you if it's pleasant and you notice it? Yeah, I want it to, I want it to continue. Does it? Um, if, if I can make it, or I mean, if no, I can. No. Does it really? Be honest. Does it continue? Is it still happening, the last one that was pleasant? No, no, not at all. It, it doesn't. No, it's it's definitely impermanent. I know. Yeah. So if you then have a you have a pleasant experience, you notice it's pleasant. Of course, you notice it's pleasant. It's fine. It's pleasant. It ends. It always will end. It yes. will change. It will end. But if you're sitting there, for instance, or standing there, or walking there, or whatever it is you're doing, and it's pleasant. And you're wanting it to stay and to stay. What happens? What do you feel like? What's what's happening in your body? Well, I can feel some sort of tightness. Yeah. Yeah. Is holding it pleasant? on. Yeah. Is it pleasant still? No. It right. no. It's changing to yeah. It's changing to uh, more of an unpleasant feeling. Right. You're all contracted. The pleasant experience is finished. <laughs> And you're contracted, and that's unpleasant. Yes. And then you go, oh, I hate this. <laughs> I'm, I hate this contraction. I'm so uncomfortable. I hate it. What, what, then what? How do you feel? Well, then I don't want that to continue either. I know, but I want, if you, Yeah, if you, I want aversion. Say, I have aversion. say, say I'm going to ask you to do something. Don't be embarrassed. Just, I, I just did it, and so I'm not embarrassed. So you can do it, too. Um, I hate this. I hate this. How do you feel? <sighs> Relief. No, no. When you were saying it. When I was saying I felt, um, I felt a lot of emotion. And how was your body? What was happening in your body? Again, yeah. Again, it was quite tense. Was it pleasant? Not at all. All right. So zombieism is not your destination. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> If you if you can recognize pleasant and unpleasant just as it is, it, the truth of it, it is pleasant. It is unpleasant. Okay. You, your, your zombieism is not waiting in the wings to jump in and turn you into a zombie. It just won't happen. Okay. I, yeah. So there's a balance be, between being just an observer and um except uh except what are you observing you're not just an observer you're an experiencer observing uh, your experience okay that's 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 what i needed to hear i'm uh -huh. experiencing as well as observing yeah. well of course what are you observing <laughs> my experience yeah yeah you know if you're if you're in utter peace just peace, 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 spaciousness, peace. Be mindful of it. That doesn't last either. No. No. But it's pleasant. Probably yes. quite pleasant. Indeed, yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. That was good, that was very helpful. Good question. Good question. Yeah. Good discussion. Next, we still have time. We have this week. I, I, 
We did it right. We have good, a good amount of time for some talking. Yes. Are you noticing the Zoom hands? There's four people who've already raised their Zoom hands. Okay, I see one. I, I have, I just, have, I'm on two pages because my, my little old computer won't put yeah, everything. Yeah, back on the first page, they're probably up in the upper right. I, I just unmuted myself. Who's this? Dami. Dami. Okay, Dami. And then, uh, Carol, you're next. So Dami, I have to find Dami. Where are you? No, <laughs> I'll talk. It's up there. Okay, thank yeah, you. I'm up there. Yeah. Okay. And tell us where you are, please. Um, I'm in Ashland, Oregon. Yes. Um, regarding uh, focusing and on whatever was happening, I had an experience this week that also will. I have a question for you about it. So I was in uh, in the woods with a friend uh, looking for mushrooms. And we had had established a certain, you know, we'd parked a car and then we'd go off into the woods for like 15 minutes and then return so that we wouldn't lose each other. We had done that for two sessions. And then the third one, we went off. And since we had been so successful, I, I didn't call her constantly. I'm the more experienced backwoods person and so I didn't call her all the time I figured we'd do this and we'd come back and um, at some point on my way back aging does this I thought I have been out here way longer than you know the time that we had set I, I missed messed up the time so I better go back and um, which was wrong actually um, and I didn't come back as soon to the road that I thought I should, I should be getting to the road again. Mm. So then the realization came, I don't know where I am. I'm lost. Mm -hmm. um, this is not good mm -hmm. <laughs> because when you're in the woods in Oregon, you can, you, it's really hard to orient yourself. Everything looks the same. There's, there are no, no ways of really, keeping track of where you are. So mindfulness, okay, now what? Um, I'm going to keep going in this direction because I can see where the sun is and then I should get to the road eventually. Until there was a moment that I thought I may have passed the road, somehow turned around it and now I'm walking away from it. <laughs> um, but in that, there the comes, if you're just like when you're sitting with things, a thought popped up and said, oh, oh my goodness, I have my phone and my GPS on me. Good. I can find my way back. Mm -hmm. So I was prepared enough to do that. So I found my way back to the road doing that. And then my friend wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And I realized that she was lost, most likely. Why wasn't she back yet? And I started walking up and down the road in the vicinity of where she had gone north and should be coming south and calling and calling. And I could feel the panic inside me. I thought she's not prepared. Um, she has no GPS. And I, you know, I, I let her go. I, I didn't do my job of, you know, making sure that we were in touch with each other. So the question I have, 
she did find her way back, by the way, and everything was fine. Thanks for letting us uh, but, know that. Yes, we're here and we're both <laughs> okay. And we had a good talk about, uh-uh, this is not how we're doing this uh, again next time. But um, the question is, the, the you know, we're dealing with feeling, the feeling of anxiety and panic that comes up when I feel responsible for somebody else. And, and there's at that moment, nothing I can do for it. Um, I mean, if she really was lost, it would mean getting, you know, the help. rescue people out there, getting help and doing all that. Mm -hmm. um, so what do I do with that feeling of panic and responsibility? So I guess I can. They're not the same thing. Okay. No, no, they're not. Be clear about that. The panic comes out of the feeling of responsibility. Well, sometimes re responsibility doesn't lead to panic or fear. Right. Not always. In this case, it did. Yeah. yeah. But the feeling of, uh, of responsibility is qu quite uh, different than panic, than fear. Panic oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. rooted in fear. Yeah. Um, and... My friend said, you aren't responsible for me. I'm responsible for myself. And I said, well, just by the nature of inviting you to come and do this and introducing you to this experience, I, I feel responsible. Mm -hmm. You probably uh, have historical, yeah. you probably have some historical uh, conditioning of being a very responsible person. Yeah. Responsibility yeah. on yeah. top of responsibility on top of responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're not disagreeing with that. Your friend was actually accurate. <laughs> it's a shared responsibility, but she was as responsible for herself as more so than you felt responsible for her. So when, when that fear comes up, recognize it in this particular situation, uh, recognize it. You did what, what needed to be done, uh, even though you were on the edge of a little bit of overwhelm with fear. But you didn't go over the top. You managed to stay pretty rooted. Right, right. Um, but recognize that, recognize the fear, recognize it's old. Mm -hmm. It's, it's probably as old as you are almost in terms of being conditioned. Yeah. I don't know your history, but. Well, maybe no. take, take off two years or something. Okay. <laughs> Starting when you were two years old. There you go. It might have been before that, but you don't remember that part. So that's okay, too. Um, yeah, it's old. And we have been practicing, if you will, we have been practicing our conditioned reactivities, reactions, for a very long time. We've gotten very good at it. Yeah. We, 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 we practiced it. Uh, practice makes perfect, as the saying goes. <laughs> so we practiced it so well, we knew it really well. 
and it can, it sticks itself. These conditioned uh, reactions stick themselves on all sorts of different circumstances, occurrences in our life. But if we can, even just for a couple of minutes, go to the to the experience itself directly, recognizing it, it's familiar, it's familiarity, knowing it without the story that that is. Uh, inspired it, we could say, that is incredibly healing, potentially, incredibly potentially healing. And we can do that anytime, not in in any situation, you know, be it as seemingly a, a potentially dire or, or, or extreme as getting lost in the woods in Oregon. Um, but there's many situations where our, our, um, Long conditioned reactivity, reactive habit patterns show up. And if we can recognize them and open to them, open to it, open to the experience directly, feel it, know it, get to know it because not buy it, not, not get sunk in it. Mm -hmm. It's very healing. Okay. So that, that's a, that's really all I want to say about this at this point. But thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. We still have time. Look at that. We have lots of time. It's wonderful. Yes. Oh, yes. That's right. Carol, you were next. Carol, I'm, I'm in Denver. Mm -hmm. um, so I had uh, a lot of sleepiness that led and drowsiness, and I even semi fell asleep and semi was dreaming and during the meditation uh period or how do you say um during, during the drama talk. Uh -huh. <laughs> and That's okay it's fine that happens yeah yeah and um i feel like i i wish i could work more with the feelings in the sleepiness and it's, you I could imagine you saying, don't fight it. But if I don't fight it, then I'd really be. I Not really fighting it. it. Not about fighting it. Yeah. I would like some other folks to speak up who have, there's not a person in this group who's not felt sleepiness sometime in during your meditative life. Um, somebody speak up in response to working with sleepiness with practice. And don't be shy. What have you done? How is it? Make it the focus of the meditation. Find where the sleepiness is in my body. Uh -huh. Tell us who you are. Time. Where are you? I know Michael, but Michael's up. Okay, Michael's talking. And feel it as fully as I can. Uh -huh. and if I still feel myself sleepy, I check in and see, do I need a nap? Because I just might be so sleep deprived that nothing's going to work. But more often than not, by just focusing on it and really feeling it and finding where is the point of sleepiness in the body? For me, it's usually right around the eyes. Mm -hmm. And for making that the focus of the meditation, it brings energy to it. Mm -hmm. And it changes the nature of my experience. Mm -hmm. That's great, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, Carol. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to do that, but I, it's just sort of, it's so vague, it's so nebulous that I haven't been able to locate a place. Are you embodied? You have to really 
want to be embodied. So that's something for you to consider, Carol. Do you really want to be embodied mm-hmm. overall and when you're feeling sleepy? Something any of you can ask yourself when you're feeling drowsy, groggy, sleepy, sloth and torpor, as it's called in the yeah. translation of the teachings. Do you want to be embodied? Yeah. Maybe yes not. <laughs> Maybe not. That's true. Yeah. So there is a kind of uh, what Michael spoke of uh, works quite well. It brings energy. It it wakes us up. Just even a little bit of it can bring more energy into the body-mind continuum. But one has to be willing. And there's a kind of a breakthrough situation. You have to be willing to be embodied. And that might be a challenge for some people when they're feeling a a, a fair amount of sloth and torpor. It's this, oh, soft and fuzzy, uh, cocoony kind of feeling in the midst of a Dharma talk that you sort of want to hear, but you like this cocoony. You really pleasant, 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 oh, oh, gone. Or pleasant, pleasant, oh, I, I... I want to be present, embodied, feel your body. Just feel, feel. for instance, you might not at first be as uh, precise as what Michael was talking about. You might just feel your whole body sitting, embodied whole body, just that. Feel it. Close your eyes right this moment and just feel your whole body be embodied. There's a lot of energy in it. Feel it. And that might give you just enough energy to notice where the sleepiness is in in the body, where the sleepiness is showing up more. Michael said it's around his eyes. Some people feel it in the chest, in the shoulders, neck area, head heart center. So you have to, you have to make a decision in a sense, which can be hard when you're full of sloth and torpor, (laughs) that you want to be embodied. (laughs) In my yoga class this week, the teacher suggested that we, if we start feeling sleepy, that we focus on the in breath more than the out breath as, and that helps that too. That's good. Yes. (laughs) Yoga is, very helpful in about being embodied because it's an embodied practice. So if you're feeling a lot of sloth and torpor, you could turn your attention to the in-breath and you might take a deep breath, a big breath, a big breath in. Oh, you feel it moving in and all the way down through your body, into your chest, into your diaphragm, into your belly. That brings energy and you're way more embodied than you were a couple of seconds before that. Thank you for that, Edith. Mm-hmm. All good, good uh, experience, suggested experiences from other people. Who else now? We have a little bit more time. Well, I'm at last. been waiting for a while. I'm okay, sorry. good. Who, who's speaking? Who's waiting for a while? Andrea was. 
Oh, Andrea, okay. Okay, I, I'll talk. I would love to. <laughs> Please do. I, I gave up. Um, I, ha <laughs> I had an experience quite a while ago at IMS in the six-week um, of uh, what, I, what I thought of when you were talking uh, today in today's talk, and I felt like it was no self. It was a vast spaciousness. And I wasn't thinking. It was neither, um, it was neutral. Um, it was wondrous and huge. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I just felt consciousness, huge consciousness, aware of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Um, and it had no love or hate, but it was very cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this self has a preference for heart and um, has an attachment mm -hmm. to the nice stuff about loving and, and so... Today, I kind of felt a gripping about, oh, is that what it feels like to die when I will have no self? Mm -hmm. And will I just be this big spaciousness mm -hmm. in neutrality? When you started thinking about it? Yes, today, mm -hmm. when you yes, were talking. Wait a minute. At first, I, re I, remembered oh, I, talking. Right. I remembered the experience, mm -hmm. and then I had a thought. I had thoughts about it. Did you come to a conclusion? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just keep looking. But don't don't get caught up in trying to decide, well, is this what it's going to be like when I die? Well, I don't know. I like the heart, so maybe maybe I don't really want this when I die and I'd rather feel love and well, I don't know, you know. I just I just don't know and well, what, what's it going to be like? You know, well, there you are thinking and thinking and story making and story making. Yeah. The next time that experience arises, if it does, just be mindful of it. If you start thinking about it, what's going to happen in the midst of it? What happens? Well, there's, when I became aware of what was happening in the, in the walking room, when I had that experience, it went away, of course, mm -hmm. because it's, everything's impermanent. And right, when I think about it, I proliferate. Right. But I, if you don't think about it, next time, if it happens again. Oh, I wish it would. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I want that so bad. Yeah. Well, it would just be nice to know it again. Well, but maybe it'll happen again. Maybe. Hopefully that it might. Yes. Uh, but if you start thinking about it, it disappears. But yes. be mindful of it, being aware of it knowing that it's occurring without story making about it, without making something of it, which I mentioned just in one sentence in the, in the talk in the reflection today, but just being present with it, with mindful presence, that's fine. Okay. If you get spaced out in it and then go, Oh, this is great. I love this. It's gone. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
it wasn't even that. I didn't even get spaced out. And it was so huge. Mm -hmm. And so that it was vast and mm -hmm. wondrous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then it was gone. Yeah, well, that's fine. It was gone. It was good. It's good for you. Okay. It's healthy. It's good for you. May it happen again. Thank you. <laughs> and with that, we have to end. We're, we're, our half an hour of discussion is concluded. That's a good way to end. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Have a really fine week of practice. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next Sunday, next Sunday morning or afternoon or evening, depending where you are. We will meet again. Take good Thank care you, of yourself. Thank you, Marcia. You're very welcome. Thank you all. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you, Marcia.